your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, we're talking about how much fear guides your life. And you know what? If people didn't feel fear, they wouldn't be able to protect themselves from legitimate threats. And that's just the truth. You know, your brainstem is all about fight or flight to protect you. So if the woolly mammoth's coming after you, you're going to remember what that sounds like the next time. And you're going to have a preconceived notion and a preconceived reaction just to keep you safe. And that's what your brain does. But but it fears a really vital response to physical and emotional danger that it's, it's pivotal throughout our evolution. Uh, but especially in ancient times when people regularly face life or death situations. You know, today we're kind of lazy. It, the stakes are a lot lower. But while, you know, public speaking or elevators, you know, it, those kind of things are what people fear. Getting on an airplane, getting on a ship, you know, that there is a fight or flight response to those things, which is different or it's not much different than once again being chased by the woolly mammoth. It's just that many people uh, have different perceptions of what to fear, and they just don't know what to do with it. And it's, you know, people experience lots of bouts of fear or nerves before, you know, the first day, you know, uh, starting a big game or something like you're on a team or maybe a swim meet or Olympics or whatever. But when someone's fear is persistent and specific to certain threats, it impairs their everyday life. And that person might have known what is what is called a specific phobia. And at least 60% of adults admit to having at least one unreasonable fear, although there's a lot of research. Uh, it's not very clear on why these fears manifest themselves. Uh, one theory is basically that humans have a genetic predisposition to fear. Things that were a threat to our ancestors, such as snakes and spiders and heights or water, But this is difficult to verify. Although people have a first-degree relative with a specific phobia appear more likely to have the same phobia, others point to evidence that individuals fear certain things because of a previous traumatic experience with them. But that fails to explain the many fears without such origins. You know, I often ask my clients, just draw a line in the middle of a page And at the top on the left side, write, I fear. And then on the top of the right side, say, I have faith that. And answer your fear with, I have faith that. And then stay there. Stay on, I have faith that. And the reason is because you're answering your fear. Life is a faith-based venture. We take lots of leaps of faith. We take lots of chances. And that's what we're supposed to do. And failure is not important. Resiliency is what's more important. Working your way out of the box, working your way through a problem. That's how we get smarter. That's how we evolve. That's how we learn for the most part, experiential learning. And it's very important for all of us to have that. But if we go back to our genetics, 
Of course, we probably do have a genetic predisposition to fear. Otherwise, we probably would never have survived as a species. And so the big deal is, is that we as people need to have fear. However, in the culture that we live in, we're not out hunting. We're not living in the middle of a, a jungle. We're, at least the vast majority of us, we're living in cities. Yes, we have crazy people out there, but we're not nearly in as much danger as we used to be. And so people probably oftentimes manifest their fears in their jobs and whatever they perceive as their need to survive. Maybe it's how they're viewed by other people. You know, personality traits such as neuroticism appear to increase a person's likelihood of developing a fovea. And a tendency towards frequent worries and negative thoughts may also increase the risk and also raise uh, the uh, uh, being raised by overprotective parents is going to be a big neurotic child. And it's going to it's sad. But when you have people that live in fear, basically, they're going against the flow of life. The flow of life, once again, once again, is leaps of faith. Living in fear is the opposite. That means we're always just coping with life. We're not actually living life. And we develop rituals and habits and things to do to keep ourselves away from our fears, which is all about coping and not about living. You know, if you think throughout human history, certain animals such as snakes and spiders have caused a high number of deaths. But some researchers believe that people may have evolved to carry an innate instinct to avoid those kind of creatures and and that it delivers some kind of survival advantage. And some studies have shown that it's easier to condition people without apparent fears of any animals to fear, like snakes and spiders, than to fear dogs or other friendly creatures. And so, you know, if you even look at the studies of primates, they show that they share human traits like fears of snakes, leading some to speculate that such fears themselves may have spurned the growth of the primate intelligence overall. And humans uh, 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 and others have evolved to avoid dangers posed by specific threats. And that's in our human genes. That's in our programming, in our experience of living, which may have made its way into how we're made up as people. And, you know, there's also research that says babies do not appear to show signs of fear until around 8 to 12 months of age, usually in response to new people or events. But they are less likely to show a fear of strangers when sitting on a parent's lap. And while some fears may be innate in humans, many fears are learned. And perhaps most commonly by seeing a parent react fearfully to an animal or a situation or to frequently warn a child about dangers, that is going to induce fear in a child. And so there's a number of times when people actively pursue experiences that could scare them, like a roller coaster or a haunted house attraction. You know, some research suggests that even though these experiences can be truly frightening in the moment, they may also uh, boost people's moods. And, and the scare response is sincere, but the quick reassurance of safety delivers an equally strong uh, sense of relief and enjoyment that may linger well after the experience. So some feelings commonly described as fears are not strict phobias, but, but mental obstacles 
that limit people's action and decisions, often preventing them from making progress, such as the fear of failure. Man, I can't, you know, fear of failure drives me crazy because so many people live for failure and the fear of failure and they stop doing things. They stop pursuing dreams. They stop taking chances. They just sit on their butt and smoke pot, do whatever. But, you know, they're just, they're just kind of dead. And the deal is, you know, Failure is, is, is the scientific process. We are meant to fail. We are meant to learn from failure, and we're meant to be resilient from failure. It's really not important what happens to you. It's more important how you decide to respond to it. You know, the fear of danger of, of, of an event or an object or people with specific phobias generally know there's no real reason to be afraid, and their behavior is not illogical. However, they can't avoid their reaction, like germaphobes. The germaphobes will magnify germs everywhere because you can't see them. And so that since they're intangible, they'll just imagine them being every, every place they could possibly be. Unfortunately, we need some bacteria in our life. We need some germs in our life to help us be immune and and not croak off. You know, sometimes it's good for you to have a little bit of dirt. You know, fears of animals such as dogs, you know, that's called uh, sinophobia. Spiders is arachnophobia. Bugs is insectophobia or entomophobia. You know, those kind of fears are zoophobias. Also include the fear of bats or snakes, or lizards. Me, I, I can't stand lizards, by the way. Fears of natural environments, such as a fear of heights, which is um, archophobia, or of, or of storms. The phobias also include fear of fire and uh, fear of the dark. I mean, all of us have fears related to such stuff as that. You know, some people like me, I hate blood. Blood drives me nuts. Uh Injury, injection, ooh, I can't stand needles, drives me crazy. I'll put up with it, but, but I hate it. You know, fear fear of uh, medical procedures like dentistry, ooh, you know. We all have different types of fears, but to what degree is really what's important? To what degree are we going to let the fear dictate our future? Are we going to let the fear prevent us from taking a chance to get a health procedure that we may need very desperately. You know, uh, uh, situational fears such as flying or fear of public speaking, fear of riding in elevators, which is also another fear, closed spaces like claustrophobia. You know, uh, 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 some people are afraid of, of choking or vomiting. You know, phone phobias can manifest at any time but tend to emerge in childhood or adolescence and the symptoms often go on forever. You know, if, if you have a fear of, of uh, choking or vomiting, or you may also have a, a phobia of a panic attack where you feel like you're out of control. Well, you know, what's interesting about emotions, and we all need to learn this. It's so important. Emotions are meant to emote. Okay, that means we, we feel them. But people have a tendency to want to put a uh, reason why they feel the way they feel. And every time you add a reason, I'm upset because this happened, well, we get more upset because we had a reason. We've had three more minutes. Emotions can only last at three minutes at the most unless you feed them with a thought. 
oh, I'm upset because of this. I'm upset because of that. I'm upset because of this. And every time you do that, you add three minutes until it's eventually like a wave. It becomes a tidal wave and just blows you down into a panic attack. And, and you know, we've got to get through that kind of stuff by allowing ourselves not to feed the emotion. Just let it pass. It's not a call to action. People who make decisions emotionally generally are going to make a lot of mistakes because they're going to be impulsive. That's why depressed people get themselves in so much danger. That's why anxious people get themselves in danger. That's why people that are stressed out all the time and live in fear uh, really get themselves into trouble because they're making emotional decisions. No decision should ever be made if you're wanting a good logical conclusion and a good outcome. It's never a good idea to make an emotional decision. And I shouldn't say never, but it's just not the the, the main way to make your, your, your life is to make emotional decisions. You know, um, you know, fear of uh, situations uh, like agoraphobia, where you, you basically eventually find yourself never wanting to leave your home, uh, you need to get help. You know, that calls for what's called a, a, a systematic desensitization. You know, go to the movie theater, go on a subway. You know, people with agoraphobia may fear public transportation, open spaces, enclosed spaces, crowded spaces, uh, being away from home. But sufferers may become highly distressed when they find themselves in such situations. And so what they – and then they go out of their way to avoid them. And what they do is they end up narrowing down their options to the point that they barely ever have an option. We do not surrender our life to fear. We have to go back out there. If you've got a big fear, put your toe in the water. Give yourself a chance. Go If you're afraid of public, you know, go to the grocery store. Buy something. Maybe you go to the self-checkout, and then maybe next time you actually get in line. And maybe next time you not only get in line, but you go get a Starbucks. Maybe the next time you you uh, uh, shape up a conversation with somebody. You know, that's how we get through things. We have to be resilient. You know, if we look at also what people are afraid of, a lot of people are afraid of heights, quite frankly. I have a, free, a fear of, flight, of heights sometimes. Um, but the symptoms, you know, often mirror those of a panic attack, including a trembling or sweaty palms, nausea, dizziness. Well, that's because when people are stressed out and afraid, they're clenching their teeth, they're breathing through their nose, which you only breathe through one nostril at a time. Every four hours, you flip back and forth. That's why we get boogers. So here's the deal. If you're going to clench your teeth, breathe through your nose, you're getting a straw's worth of oxygen into the brain. If the brain doesn't have oxygen, it's going to pull the oxygen out of the bloodstream and it's going to put it into the brain. So the brain survives because it has to run the show. So the heart's going to sputter. The stomach's going to sputter. Your, your lungs are going to sputter. Everything's starting to freeze up and you're starting to get cold and nauseated and sweaty because you feel like you're dying. And quite frankly, you probably are. And what you have to do is get oxygen back into your body. That means breathe. Breathing air has about 23% oxygen. And drinking water, especially from a sports bottle with an aerator on top, which activates the molecules immediately, that 
is about 86% oxygen. So if you want to restore yourself, drink some water when you're having a panic attack so that your brain will release the oxygen back into the blood supply and your blood supply can function. You know, uh, uh, anything that is change, anything that is scary uh, can really develop problems in our life. Think about clowns. You know, some people have always found them creepy. You know, uh, uh, a lot of people have a fear of a clown. You know, why would somebody wear all this makeup and try to get everybody's attention? What are they up to? What's their motive? What do they want? I know they're human. I know they have a bad side to them. So what are they doing? You know, they can be really scary to some people. Well, if you go down that rabbit path, you may not just enjoy the fact that they're trying to have fun and allow other people to have fun. Maybe that's the only goal. Unfortunately, we as people always want to look at the dark side. And when we do that and focus on the dark side, we're going to develop psychotic fears. You know, if you want to look at the diagnostic manual for mental health, every single disorder in the diagnostic manual of mental health that has to do with thought-based disorders all of them, the square root of what creates them, each one of them has different types of symptoms caused by the need to control things we cannot control. And unfortunately, people that are control freaks are neurotic because they're trying to control everything they can't control. We're not meant to control everything in this life. And, you know, at some point, if you have faith, you have to understand you're not God, and God's in control and going to do whatever God's going to do, and your job is to respond. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some various fears and anxiety and how to deal with it. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about fear and how much it can guide your life. You know, fear often takes a a form of other things and phobias like social anxiety disorder, which is also called sometimes social phobia. But that's really a deep fear of other people's judgment, evaluation, rejection that limits people's enjoyment of life, that suffer from it. Uh, They may avoid situations in which they're exposed to the scrutiny of others, such as giving a speech, eating in front of people, meeting new people, engaging in group conversations, and all of a sudden they limit, 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 limit their ability to function, and then they find themselves agoraphobic. But you see, guys, you know, the social anxiety, we are social creatures, And if we're going to live in fear of other people, we are giving a lot of people a lot of power over our life. We are meant to motivate ourselves. We are not meant to to examine ourselves by how other people see us. And if you're going to do that, you'll never will form your character, who you are as a person, the decisions that you make uniquely, the wisdom that people can uh, gain from you, the idea of your integrity as a person. None of that ever gets formed if you have a social phobia because nobody knows you. And, and it's unfortunate, you know, and people have to walk on eggshells around your phobias. We have to distance ourselves. We are not, if you, you know what, if you stuck a person with social phobia or any kind of fear in the middle of a jungle, they'd probably be dead within a day because you can't afford to live in fear. You have to be resilient and smart if we're going to survive. And uniquely, that over hundreds of thousands of years, is what we were built to do. And we have the luxury of living in neurosis in the day and age we're in where we can go to a grocery store, get our food. We don't have to butcher an animal. We don't have to do crazy things like, you know, uh, go uh, have our own garden and stuff like that. We can go and buy stuff. We are safe. We have vehicles. We we. We can travel great amounts of distance. We, we have many ways to endure weather that we didn't have before. And, and it's amazing how well we can survive in this day and age. But people live in neurotic fear, still even having all of the comforts that we can have. They still form in their mind a way to be neurotic. And once again, people back in the day, up to maybe even a hundred years ago, had to survive. They could not afford to be afraid. And we are losing our sense of resiliency as people because we allow fear, because we're bored, or we're, we're, we're in a life where we have expectations that are unreasonable. We develop all these psychotic tendencies and neurotic tendencies to, to, to basically limit our life out of fear. When we live in the safest time in all of the human race. You know, how to overcome social anxiety. 
you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, thought-based therapy with behavioral techniques may help people begin to overcome social anxiety. You know, if you practice approaches to social situations, like I talked about in the last segment, to limited exposure and begin to question the internal stories that lead you to avoid others that can foster some sense of confidence in sufferers. And, and they're, in fact, the type of people that can handle eventually social situations. You know, test, test your predictions. Um, you know, prove that they're incorrect. And further help, help uh, challenge your own anxious thoughts. Uh, you know, reward yourself if you have to by doing socialization. When fear disrupts or overtakes a person's life, you know, therapy can also help. You know, core treatment for fears is exposure therapy, which the therapist basically guides the client to gradually and repeatedly engage in the source of their phobia in a safe environment to help strip away the threat associated with it. You know, for example, someone with the fear of flying may be prompted to think about planes, view pictures of planes, visit the airport, step into the plane, eventually complete a fight. You know, this is something that empowers your life. And you would think that most people would want to have more options in their life, like getting on an airplane and be able to go to some fantastic place or be able to go even visit their relatives. You know, medication like beta blockers, which block adrenaline and lower the heart rate and our blood pressure, you know, they can be prescribed in short terms. Often when a feared situation is necessary or unavoidable, uh, but like maybe before a, a public speaking event, take a beta blocker. See if that'll help you. You know, minding your own thoughts, acknowledging your fears, and being present can go a long way towards managing your everyday fears. The first step is to question the story behind a fear. When a person's mental predictions insist that something's going to go wrong, that an individual faces imminent danger or the ability to step back or recognize those thoughts as stories, then calmly evaluate whether they're true and rational. And that can be a powerful step towards overcoming them. You know, there's even, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a great um, uh, game. It's a biofeedback game. It's called uh, Journey to the Wild Divine. And that basically senses your heartbeat, your heart rhythm, uh, your sweat, and basically your energy. And basically you learn how to uh, bring things up or take things down in your body. You become very aware of it. And by what it is, it's basically a reward system. Like you're, you're a dolphin learning how to jump over uh, maybe a rope or something. And eventually, you, you, as the dolphin, by raising your energy, you're able to get the rope to go. Or maybe you're in a balloon and trying to float up into the sky. But you can't float up in the sky unless you relax your muscles and allow the balloon to go. So those are kind of things that, that allow you to control your own energy and your own impulses. But you have to realize, no one lives without fear. But individuals perceived as courageous may respond to and manage their fears in ways that may offer models to others. First, they're not afraid to be afraid, knowing it's a feeling that some, some, sometimes is unavoidable. And it's a feeling that can be useful when it's recognized as an alert not a barrier. And with that knowledge, you prepare without panicking. Take action instead of shying away from it. Take some accountability. Take some responsibility. Ask for help. And by the way, people that have tons and tons of fear, 
also have trouble taking responsibility for their own messes, their own mistakes. They will move the cheese all the time. They will deflect on other people. They will blame, blame, blame. And that's a person that lives in fear. You know, fear and anxiety anxiety may not be anyone's favorite emotions, but but the, the, the sensations go a long way in keeping us safe. And that means it's good. You know, if there, there's a it, there's a mean dog out there that might bite you, the fear that results when you next see the dog will help you avoid being bitten. So that's a necessary ingredient. But when, but you know, what about when the response goes too far? This is the problem. If instead you come to fear all dogs, not just the one that bits you, that fear might drastically change where you go and with whom you spend time, and it becomes a detriment, not a benefit. That means everywhere you go, if someone's got a dog, in which lots of people do after COVID, uh, guess what? You can't go the places that you used to go because you've chosen to fear dogs. You know, it, the phenomenon where fear changes how we act when there's no imminent threat is what people have to take an interest in to learn from. You know, what happens in our brains? What happens in our body during fear-related learning, memory, and decision-making? You know, inside our brain, you know, we need to look and figure out how to figure out to treat those who suffer from anxiety disorders, including post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder is really interesting because I treat that. And one of the things about it is, Um, There's a thing called eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And what's neat about that is eye movement desensitization reprocessing basically allows the brain to resort where a memory is held. Oftentimes, a memory that is post-traumatic is tied to our fear of our our, uh, fight or flight, which is at our brainstem. And basically it's sitting there above our brainstem to remind us of dangerous situations that we've experienced in the past so that we will survive and react to them. However, some of those traumatic experiences, if they just sit there and they're not likely to occur again, what they eventually do is they start growing roots. That means that if you go to Walmart, you were in a situation in a crowd where you were in danger, and now you go to Walmart, you're afraid of Walmart. Now, if you go to, to you know any kind of crowd, you're afraid of the crowd. Um, and that's sad because then people start to limit their life based on their post-traumatic. So what you do with EMDR is the brain – thinks it's in the the REM stage of sleep by doing eye movement. So what you do is you remember something, you do the eye move. First of all, you do the eye movement, then you remember something, you begin describing it before the trauma happened, and you move yourself like a train all the way through the events. So each each car has its own part of the memory and then you do eye movement and then you do the memory and then you do the eye movement and then you do the memory until you've worked yourself to the end of the event. And what the brain does is it thinking that you're in a, a dream state of sleep, which you're not, you're wide awake and just remembering something traumatic that happened, it kind of moves that memory to the memory glands, which are in the back of your brain on both sides, the right and the left, on the very back, the little... Uh, the right and the left side of your back brain. And those memory glands basically will take that memory away from the brainstem, drop it into the to the memory glands, and now there's a window between the traumatic event and yourself. 
And that's what EMDR does so well, and it's so fast, and it's so efficient. Uh, when you work it and you do it correctly, it can change people's lives that have post-traumatic stress disorder in, in a heartbeat. You know, uh, to understand what extent, uh, uh, what extent people generalize conditioned fear is really important. Um, you know, uh, if you're looking at games, there's a lot of games that are based on fear. And a lot of those kind of video games that kids watch can actually train them to deal with fear and actually sometimes can program them to not have fear. But what generally happens is if they're not getting the clues to what to be afraid of, maybe they're going to make foolish decisions if they train their brain too much, where in a video game, you can have another life and another life and another life. In this life, we just got this one that we know about. And so we have to be a little bit more careful and respectful of who we are. What is fear? You know, it's one of the seven universal emotions experienced by everyone around the world. And it arises with harm, with physical, perceived emotional, psychological, real or imagined. You know, a lot of people develop fears from from dreams. And then they wake up responding to their dreams. And some people, it's intense. And, and some people develop a fear of experiences based on what they felt while they were having a dream. You know, if, if a fear of something, an experience is intense, you know, how severe is the, is, is the harm that is threatened? That's what we must look at. Also, timing. Is, is the hard immediate or impending? Is, it, is it the thing we fear immediate or impending? And then coping. What, if any, actions can be taken to reduce or eliminate the threat? And that's the most important thing is to try to be constructive. Stay in the logical because that's what's going to protect you. A person that is logical in a fear-based situation is going to find a way to be resilient and creative. And that turns them into people who have a better self-regard for themselves because they know they can get through something hard and still figure it out. And some people get off on that. You know, when we're able to cope with a threat, the lessons uh, remove the fear. And, and, and those lessons often apply themselves to how to change another fear and convert it from having power in our life. So the more that we overcome fear, the more that we magnify that ability over other experiences of fear to the point where we are keeping it in balance and understanding, yes, there are moments in life to be afraid of. Yes, there's moments in life when crazy people are around. Yes, th this world can be a dangerous place. But by all in all, we're all living pretty darn comfortable. Most of us are. You know, the universal trigger for, for fear is a threat of harm, real or imagined. But here's the deal. A lot of people live with uh, rage. And there's two roots to rage, and this is called anger management. One of the roots is disrespect, feeling like you don't have a voice. If you feel like you don't have a voice, that causes you to fear, and that causes you to feel as if you're not a, a normal person, not a human, and that can discount your perception of who we are. If 
you are afraid of something, that also can create rage. Because if we're living in a fear, we feel like we have to use rage to find a way to survive. And some people will respond to their spouse, let's say, who may not be listening or may not be following directions with a fear-based response that comes out as rage because we're angry, uh, because we're perceiving danger from our partner. And some people give a lot of rage to their partner based on fear, but uh, mostly it's conceived from disrespect. I'm not going to go too far into that. But, you know, common fear triggers is darkness or loss of visibility, heights, uh, social interaction or rejection, uh, snakes, rodents, spiders, death and dying, and failure. And moods and disorders, you know, persistent fear can sometimes be referred to as an anxiety that we feel constantly worried about without knowing why. But the inability to identify the trigger prevents us from being able to remove ourselves or the actual threat from the situation. And that's an important thing for us to do. And that's why I said to write that piece of paper down, divide that line, I fear, I have faith that on the other side. You know, uh, while anxiety is a common experience for people, it can be considered a disorder when it's reoccurrent, when it's pervasive, when it's persistent, intense, and it interferes with your basic life skills, such as work and sleep. God forbid you have that kind of thing if you're in the army on the battlefield. God forbid if you're an officer and, and a police officer and have that. God forbid you're a firefighter in the middle of a fire and you end up having that. You don't want to have that, and we can overcome these things. A lot of them are manifested by our own thoughts. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back, and we're going to discuss therapy and how to heal it and uh, what it looks like. So come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for The Power of Young People to Change the World, hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time, or anytime on demand, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about fear and how it can dictate our life. I'm telling you. You know, what does it look like? You know, the facial expression of fear is often confused with surprise. You know, both expressions show distinctly uh, raised eyebrows. You know, a fear expression's eyebrows are usually straighter and more horizontal, whereas in surprise, they're raised and curved. Um, Also, the uh, upper eyelid is also lifted higher with fear than surprise, exposing more of the white of our eye. And and usually the lips are tensed and stretched in fear, but more open and slack with surprise. And that's interesting to know how we understand what fear looks like in a person. You know, also there's a vocal expression of fear. When experienced fear, a person's voice uh, may have a higher pitch or a more strained tone. Uh, one may also scream. I remember I was in a car that we almost got in an accident. I swear I sounded like a, a woman singing an opera when that happened. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was like, ah! <laughs> It was the weirdest thing. I was so embarrassed. (laughs) Also, the sensations of fear. You know, common sensations include feeling cold, shortness of breath, you know, maybe sweat, trembling, tightening, muscles, arms, and legs. So that's a sensation. That's how you know it's there. And it's important to be aware. Am I afraid? Well, we can tell by other ways our bodies, like our posture. You know, uh, uh, it can either be mobilizing or immobilizing. So maybe we freeze or maybe we move away, fight or flight. You know, uh, the universal function of fear is to avoid or reduce harm. So depending on what we have learned in the past about what can protect us in dangerous situations, we're capable of doing many things we wouldn't typically be able or willing to do in order to stop the threat. And when I was talking in the last segment about how fear can trigger rage, well, that's because it's a survival mechanism. I'm going to get bigger, I'm going to get more angry, and I'm going to try to overpower you. And that's what the person does who doesn't run away, but they actually face the fear and put themselves in the situation, which is not always the smartest thing to do. You know, the immediate threat of harm basically focuses our attention. And here's what's interesting. Our senses get narrowed down to which sense is going to be the most important one. Is it going to be our visual? Is it going to be our smell? Is it going to be our hearing? All of these things, is it going to be our our, uh, our our sensation of feeling? You know, what what is it going to be? Which, which sensory perception is going to get us through the scenario? Well, the brain turns that on almost instantly. And fear can actually save our lives by forcing us to react without having to think about it. You know, if you jump out of the way of a car or of 11, you know, the the evolutionary preset actions of fear include uh, fight, flight, and freezing. And so obviously, I would say flight is probably the number one that we should train ourselves to do. 
if it has to be fight, it'd be nice to have that in you if you needed that. And because God forbid, you might need that. You know, while traditionally considered a negative emotion, uh, a fear actually serves as an important role to keep us safe. And it can, however, keep us from feeling trapped, uh, prevent us from doing things we'd like to do. Uh, you know, some people find fear nearly intolerable and avoid the emotion at all costs. Others experience pleasure from feeling fear and seek it out, like watching a horror film. Pretty amazing. You know, it's, it really takes a well-developed capacity for compassion to respect, feel sympathetic toward, and patiently reassure someone who's afraid of something we're not afraid of. You know, most of us dismiss those kind of fears. You know, we do not need to feel another person's fear to accept it and help them cope with it. And that's an important thing for us to remember. You know, the uh, uh, the effects of fear on the brain are also important to understand. A person's response to danger, danger generally involves many different areas of the brain. Some research in, in the field of psychology has identified the amygdala as the pivotal processing of fear. And when a person is confronted with a potentially dangerous situation, basically what happens is the amygdala sends uh, an, an excited signal to other brain areas to ensure that these areas also become alert and coordinate. And the evidence of the amygdala's importance to the processing of fear has been highlighted in lots of different studies. You know, when monkeys and rats with damaged amygdalas were exposed to snakes, uh, the animals demonstrated no fear of their natural predators. You know, there's some studies also uh, that, uh, you know, the amygdala does play, that suggests that the amygdala does play a critical role in triggering and processing fear, but also that there's research that's found that, that its effective functioning is not absolutely essential for a person to experience fear. Uh, there's another study, it was back in 95, that showed alternate brain pathways that played roles in fear, learning, and processing. You know, demonstrating signs of fear when exposed to fear-inducing objects, um, you might experience a trained part of your brain to go, oh, I should be afraid and panicked, and all of a sudden, uh, 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 you're, you're, you know, like maybe there's carbon dioxide in the room or a smell like gas or something like that. Um, that's something that we have to be aware of and that is dangerous, but it may not trigger necessarily a fear-based emotion. So that means we have to train ourselves to fear those things and to be looking for those kind of things that smell. Without fear, our, our chances of day-to-day -day survival would likely diminish, but fear can be healthy, and it helps people keep away from dangerous and harmful situations by triggering fight or flight. And often, fear affects people physically and emotionally. So fear may cause, and that's what I'm saying from the earlier part of the show, is some people just direct, they create a neurosis of fear in their life, and they surround themselves with fear-based thoughts, and they never climb out of it. Once again, life is a faith-based venture. We take leaps of faith, and then we enjoy the process of learning from those leaps. And that may be a friendship, that may be marriage, buying a new car, getting a job, having children. It could be all kinds of things or all of that at once, but we have to do that as people. We have to do that as people so that we evolve. You know, uh, um, without fear, uh, you know, uh, it may cause someone to experience an enhanced perception of space and time in their senses of sight and hearing and smelling. 
you know, life-threatening situations can also reduce the ability to notice the detail while increasing the capacity to diminish larger blurry objects. So these adjustments in perception can increase our chance of survival. And guess what? Our brain is trained to do that throughout the history of mankind. And we're not the only ones. Um, you know, other animals have that too. You know, so what are the responses? Some people have temporary paralysis or erratic heartbeat, stomach pain, head pain, nausea, dizziness, fainting, sweating, muscle tension, twitching, trembling. What does that mean? No oxygen. Get yourself some oxygen. Breathe. Water. Sports bottle. Sports bottle has aerator. Converts the oxygen to uh, so the body doesn't have to convert it. Very important to have this stuff. Some people cry. Some people start stuttering. Some people have erotic, uh, erotic, uh, erratic sleep patterns. Some uh, have a loss of appetite, rapid or shallow breathing. You know, it, it can be really intrusive or it can be really distracting thoughts. But usually it's a loss of focus and confusion. And people who live in fear have a hard time focusing. They have a hard time getting things done. They procrastinate. They develop a sense of depression. And guess what? Anxiety and depression work together. You're either anxious because you're depressed and can't get out of bed, or you're depressed because you're so anxious you can't get anything done. And so they play on each other, guys. And you can manage it. So what's depression? Depression is unmet expectations that we have an emotional attachment to. I expect my husband to be kind to me all the time. I expect my children to do their homework. Well, you know, when you're going to lay an expectation on other people who you can't control, you're going to be gravely disappointed most of the time and depressed because you feel powerless. You convert it to, I prefer, you know, I prefer my husband were nice. I prefer my children got their homework done. You know, if you move it to a preference, you don't have that emotional attachment and you have no reason to be depressed and you're actually accepting the fact that life doesn't give us all the control that we want. That's an important ingredient to understanding human existence and coming to terms with us trying to be bigger than we are. You know, the other things that comes out of it is like obsessions and compulsions, which are coping skills. So all of a sudden you may be uh, cleaning something 50 times in a row, or suddenly you may be developing rituals everywhere you go to cope with your life, but you're ever, never actually feeling alive because you're so busy coping. And some people will fill their life with rituals and obsessions and compulsions to solve the obsessions because the obsessions are fear-based, compulsions are the remedy, and all they do is live in that formula. Uh, some people form paranoia. And they will get ahead of themselves and they will predict negative outcomes and look at the negative in people and feel like they know uh, their husband or their wife so well that they can crystal ball and predict what they're going to do. You know, it's sad. It's sad. We set people up that we love for failure because we develop paranoid tendencies to try to control them. Then there's uh, obviously all kinds of different psychotic things that can come out of living in fear. But if you're going to train your brain to live in fear, eventually you're going to work your way into delusions, hallucinations. You know, there's all kinds of things that fear can manifest in people. Uh, negative moods, you know, maybe even manic, maybe even fear of death. It's surprising how many people fear death. Well, we're all going to die. Why do you have to worry about the last moment of your life when you have plenty of moments between there? 
can't you just be alive? Can't you just enjoy what you got? And, and you know, do you want to be remembered for how you die? Well, most people poop their pants when they die. Do you, do you want to be remembered for that? Do you remi- want to be remembered for killing yourself? Oh, that's the person that killed themselves. Why don't you be remembered for what you do in your life to help other people? That would be nicer. People that focus on other people and being a help to other people don't have time for fear. You know, you want to overcome. Take a time out. You know, if you're going to feel fear, it's, it's impossible to think clearly. You know, walk around the block, make a cup of coffee, have a bath, do something to help yourself relax. Breathe through your panic. If you start to get a fast heartbeat or sweating palms, don't fight it. Accept the fact, but don't feed it with a logical reason why you're experiencing it. Just let it come through you. Also, avoiding fears only makes them scarier. So the best thing you can do with a fear is to face it. And if you panic one day, getting into to an elevator, for example, is best to get back into the elevator the next day. Don't let it have power over your life. You know, imagine the worst. Try imagining the worst thing that can happen. Perhaps it's panicking and having a heart attack. Then try to think yourself through having a heart attack. It, it's, it's just not possible. The fear will run away the more you chase it. So you don't chase it. You know, don't try to be perfect. People that are perfectionists are completely neurotic. You know, visualize a happy place. You know, get back to basics. You know, reward yourself. Those are important things for all of us to do. But facing your fear, that's the most important responsibility you owe not only to others in your life, but yourself. You know, allow yourself to just sit with it for two to three minutes and see what happens. Maybe exercise. You know, exercise helps the brain more than any other part of your body. Exercise, especially cardio, is so good for your brain. Why not do something like that for yourself? And, and since you're feeling maybe flight, go fly by run, running. The other thing that really deflates fear, and this is important, folks, is using humor. You know, what's, what are some of the most ridiculous worst-case scenarios that might happen if you accept an invitation to deliver a speech to a big crowd? Okay, you might pee your pants. You might be arrested for giving the worst speech in history. You know, all people want to do is learn from you. So why not be there to teach them something that you know and you worked hard to learn? You know, name the fear and and educate yourself on it. These are big things to do to help yourself. Thank you for listening. That's our show. And and I love to hear from you. And you can do that through our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, your greatest fear is your most obsessed fantasy. (laughs) You know what? People who are acting in horror movies need to listen to their viewers. That's really important. And most of life is full of grave misfortunes which have never happened. Anyone who loves Shark Week is usually scarier than the sharks. There's only one thing that makes dreams impossible to achieve, and that's the fear of failure. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 